Welcome to episode 16 of Perspectives Unsettled. I'm with Sarah Borns and Amanda Brown. You guys want to say hey? Oh, hi. It's an exciting episode all about women and missions and leadership. And I'm excited to talk to you guys about this. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So before before we get into the nitty gritty, we um, usually Ben brings a fun, cool icebreaker question that he's collected throughout his you know, long history of youth events and missions and ministry retreats. And that is kind of the only bummer of him not being here today is I had to come up with one on my own. So I so, like what you came up with. All right. Well, and to be to be totally uh, transparent, yeah, I had to ask my friends for help. So so this <laughs> this question um, is what is your like comfort TV show movie that you like go back to when you just need, you know, to chill out and calm down and forget where you are for a minute? I definitely have one of those. Mine is The Office. So I treat all day long. <laughs> Love it. That's good. Mine would, be, <laughs> mine would be Friends for sure. And now that I live in New York City, it's even more meaningful because I'm like, oh my gosh, now I know where that is. Oh, I've been there. So, and then of course, just having the reunion come out, which I haven't seen all of it yet, but oh, that was just like, I felt like a reunion with my real actual friends. <laughs> <laughs> I had a roommate in college who Friends was her comfort show for sure because she put it on. She had the DVD box set of all the seasons and put it on every night before falling asleep on our shared TV in our room. So I definitely have seen all of Friends, but not necessarily by choice. (laughs) There was a time when I thought that they were my real friends. Like I actually wondered, like, (laughs) what are they up to today? Oh, maybe I should go. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I guess the question is, are you a Monica or a Phoebe or a Ross, maybe? Myself, personally, I am Monica, but (laughs) um, I don't know if I would choose to be friends with her. (laughs) Amanda. You, Emily, what's Uh, yours? um, I am a a movie person. And actually, the other day, I kind of got some heat after a staff meeting for my my passionate defense of of the movie Legally Blonde as as an actual good movie. I <laughs> I will fight this, but I I don't know how many times I've seen it. I love I love Elle Woods. She's an inspiration. Well, let him trash it. That's a good. <laughs> it's a it's a genuinely good movie. This is this is the hill I'm going to die on. Whenever the topic of women in leadership is brought up in a Christian organization or circle, there tend to be two pretty strong reactions. People either get annoyed that it's taken so long to get addressed, or they get annoyed that it gets addressed at all. You know, isn't the Bible clear? Wasn't this decided a long time ago? Don't we already know what things are for men and what things are for women? And whenever I say we in this context, I mean the general Western evangelical church. I know there are a thousand different voices and even more opinions on this topic from people in the evangelical world, but I'm talking about the overall culture created by and in the Western church. And I say we because, you know, despite my own beliefs and arguments, I still live in and participate in this evangelical culture. And one thing that has become a prominent feature in evangelical culture now is the conversation around women's participation. 
We often argue about what exactly women are allowed to do, how much leadership and authority they're allowed to have. And it seems that most churches are willing to err on the side of just in case. As in, you know, we're not sure if God wants women to do these things, so we're not going to let them, you know, just in case. But the thing is, since the beginning, women have not been waiting for permission to act. Christianity has always been a female majority. Women were the last disciples to leave the cross, the first disciples at the tomb, and the first proclaimers of the gospel. Women have been martyrs, saints, missionaries, apostles, and leaders. Women played crucial parts in the formation of the early church, and they play crucial parts now. And while we sit back in our Western evangelical churches and we have the same argument we've been having for centuries, women around the world are making disciples and they're reaching unreached people and they are completely unconcerned about what we think they're allowed to do. So today, as we talk about different experiences that we've had in ministry and in international missions, we're addressing questions like, what unique challenges do women face when it comes to working in missions? How much should concern for personal safety impact our decisions? What can a female missionary expect to experience when working in severely patriarchal cultures? And how are women around the world taking it upon themselves to make disciples and advance God's kingdom? So you guys both have a lot of experience working in missions and in churches and leading in these capacities. Um, And I know you guys have both appeared on our podcast, so you're not total strangers to our audience, but maybe like a brief reintroduction on your roles in your current ministries would be some helpful background. So Amanda, if you want to go. Yeah, um, my name is Amanda Brown. I am the missions director at Flatirons Community Church, which is a multi-site church in the Denver, Colorado metro area. Uh, We actually have six campus locations up and down the front range, one being at a men's uh, maximum security prison out in eastern Colorado. Um, I've been around Flatirons for about, probably about 12 years or so. Um, Started just as an an attendee kind of capacity volunteer and then have been on staff for several years. Um, And I oversee our six international missions partners around the world, as well as the men's prison partnership we have out in Lyman that is under or on my plate also. So talk about a woman in a man's world. I'll, I can talk about that, but yeah, that's me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. How about you, Sarah? Yeah. My role right now is pastor of mission and formation at Hope Church in Midtown, New York City. And I've been in this for about 15 months. So basically six weeks before the shutdown, um, <laughs> I took this role and had uh, yeah, five or six in-person services in my associate pastoral role and didn't know the church really beforehand. So it's been a super weird season. Um, before that, I had been um, in seminary for a couple of years. So that was kind of my full-time work for the two years before this was getting my master's of divinity in cross-cultural studies. And then I've also served at the headquarters of um, the denomination that I'm with, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and worked at my home church for seven years before that in outreach ministries um, and college ministry. Um, so yeah, I've kind of been around like the, the world of pastoral ministry and then um, campus ministry and missions and sending training kind of um, roles. So seen a variety of, of different ways where women, where I was able to lead in different capacities um, and how those different roles um, yeah, and it's taken me 
a little while to get used to actually having the title pastor and I can go into that more, but yeah. that one little word, it's a tricky <laughs> one and it, it really, it makes a difference in some ways, but yeah, I've, I've grown into it. I think over time. So that, that kind of is a question I want, I want to start with. I know this, this podcast isn't necessarily about, you know, women being pastors or women in a church leadership, but I think when you talk about someone being involved in missions, there there is a leader aspect of someone's role there. You know, they should have a certain spiritual maturity. They are stepping into a role with some authority and there's expectation on of teaching. So when a woman is, you know, on a mission trip or as a missionary, she is a leader in the church, whether or not, you know, she's a pastor or she works full time. And so I I'm I'm always interested when I meet other women in ministry to ask, you know, what if you could sum up, you know, what is what is your view on on women in church leadership? And, you know, has has that evolved as you've worked in ministry or grown in faith? Yeah, I'll just keep going with kind of where I was um, headed. So when I worked in church ministry in my mid 20s to late 20s, I had like a director title and that suited me just fine. And it really didn't matter that much. And I I just didn't care. Um, you know, I, I felt like it was more about what, you know, calling and what I felt like the Lord was placing on me as far as just the gifts um, that I had to bring to the table. And so, yeah, but then over time, I think that, and especially here in New York now, um, I am coming to see that there is a bit of a difference in the way that I can like own and kind of step into like a full sort of place of authority, I guess, in church leadership. Um, if I'm doing the the gifting, if I'm doing the work of pastoring, of shepherding, um, being able to say like that, yes, I, I am a pastor, I am pastoring. And it, it's still like a little tricky to come out, out of my mouth just because of the cultural um, weight of that. But, you know, that's just a title as far as that goes. But I think the, the development of my own just confidence and authority and ability to say like, this is how God has wired me. He's wired me to teach and to lead and, and to preach even. And, um, and just to trust that, like, kind of like what Mary told, um, the servants do whatever Jesus tells you to do. (laughs) And so if it comes down to like, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do and, you know, sorting out like what that actually looks like and means, you know, for others or in positions and titles and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's been where where I've landed lately. How about you, Amanda? Yeah, I'm nodding along with Sarah and she's sharing because I resonate with so much of what you're saying. I never envisioned, I never thought, like I don't, growing up, I never thought I'd actually be in ministry. This was not remotely on my radar. I never had the burning bush experience or the, you know, summer youth camp where I knew God called me into ministry. So my road has been really interesting um, to where I'm at today in terms of being in a pastoral or director role um, in ministry. And I think when I first, I worked, the very first ministry job I had was at a pretty conservative kind of old school mentality church. And so I think at that time, I, my impression was women in ministry will serve in roles like administrative or in women's men or children's men. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
and the flat irons where I'm at now has just blown that apart for me. Um, I'm so proud of our church leadership and elders who really empower women to lead in, in significant roles around here. So I, I kind of see what I think maybe was the glass ceiling for me at one time is just, it doesn't exist anymore. We are, our lead pastor implemented um, female ordination, women's ordination around here uh, within the past year, year and a half. And that's something he came from a pretty traditional conservative background on women um, holding the title of pastor, like you said, Sarah. And so he was really challenged on that. And he um, went through a long period of researching and really digging into scripture around the women holding the term pastor. Our elders did also and came to the conclusion that there really is a difference in the terms um, elder and pastor biblically. And then with that really has honored a lot of the pastors and the teachers that are female on our staff um, by inviting us into this ordination process, which about a dozen or so of us are undergoing this year. So all of that to say, um, I continue to be floored by what God is presenting to me. And I um, am so grateful for Flatirons for just opening up some really cool opportunities that are controversial still. Mm -hmm. Um, And super excited for where God is taking me um, in this whole pastor thing that I never, ever envisioned myself in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I and I talk a little bit about this on a podcast episode we've already done, so I won't get too into like my own thoughts and, and evolution of it. But I think as as someone kind of like you were saying, Amanda, I was never felt like I was going to be a pastor anyway. So it didn't seem like a big deal to me. You know, like, so what? I don't I can't do a thing I don't want to do. That's that's fine with by me. But then I, you know, went out into the world and met a bunch of different people and met women who were you know, knew they were called to to teach in a church or to lead. And I thought, well, <laughs> what am I going to do with this? Am I going to tell them, no, they're wrong? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I definitely have been surrounded, even I think back to kind of my early days as a Christian, when I was much younger by some incredible female teachers and people that I would consider to be have my pastor um, definitely women who have invested in me and seen something in me that I, I didn't see in myself. I don't know. This is kind of getting off topic of your initial question, but I just, I have a history degree. Like the, this in ministry thing was not ever remotely on my radar yet. Here I am. And I can see the way that God has used kind of my educational background and some of my previous job, non-ministry job experience to the benefit of what I'm doing now. Yeah, I I am really curious about your experience with the the prison ministry, because um, that that was another one of my questions that I was interested in hearing from you guys. Is you know has has your expertise you know been questioned by people? Have have you been challenged in like your your roles in leadership? Yeah, that's uh, that question specifically. There is a specific example that comes from the prison ministry to answer that. Yes, there have been. Um, more than one man, both participating as a volunteer in the ministry and then on staff here at the church who have questioned why I'm overseeing the prison ministry. I'm the first to bang the drum that 
there needs to be a, a male, like a strong male role model pouring into the lives of these prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, they need that desperately. We have some fantastic male volunteers who do that super, super well, but uh, I'm not the long-term girl. They need a male pastor, but just kind of out of circumstances. And when we launched this ministry kind of landed me in this role. Um, and I do think there has been benefit to our partnership to, to have a female standing up in front of these guys um, talking about Jesus and setting the tone for our lead teams and our volunteer teams and who we are as a church. Um, a lot of these guys, I would probably argue most all of them have really horrific, broken female relational and identity pieces. I mean, it's super messy. Mm-hmm. To have a strong woman standing up there, um, challenging them and and speaking into what God's doing in the partnership has been really beneficial, but it's, it's, it's not exclusive. I'm not, um, and and the other gals that lead in this ministry, we're not kind of the end goal, but I do think there's a balance between strong, challenging Christian men pouring into their lives and then women also who are doing the same. Mm -hmm. What about you? I, I think interestingly, I have felt a little more limited by being a single woman in ministry and leadership than just by being a woman. Um, Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I wonder if, you know, there are some married women who are limited by, you know, their spouses being, you know, like they're seen as just, I'm doing air quotes, just (laughs) a, you know, pastor's wife or just a whatever because of their marital status where, you know, so I think there's different limitations, whether you're single or married perhaps. But yeah, for me, I think I, maybe it's more personal and just like lack of confidence sometimes it has come with being leading as a single woman. But at the same time, I know that there's also more freedom and more places that I'm able to, to go. And, you know, even we're talking missions, like, I think it's pretty fascinating. And Emily, you were probably going to bring this up about like single women on the mission field, um, you know, significantly disproportionate single women versus single men and, you know, all the reasoning for that. But there's again, certain like freedoms that really come with that and inroads. And then there's also some pretty hefty limitations, um, as far as, you know, what it looks like to, to serve alone or to, to not have, you know, however people want to say like a covering or even just a partnership and, and, you know, so different needs around that. Um, I was going to also point out, you use the word Emily a couple of times, like allowed. And I just think whenever, (laughs) whenever we get into using that word of like what we're allowed to do, like that just seems so fear-based and almost even shame-based, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I just can't think of a context where there's an equivalent to that for men, like what men are allowed to do or not allowed to do. And so I just think that gets, you know, murky, like, what, what are we really saying when we're talking about allowed, allowed by who allowed by the Holy spirit, you know, mm-hmm. allowed by church policy. Um, and so I think we really have to be careful with that word and, and just knowing, yeah, like I, I come from just the mindset of, I don't want to limit or quench the Holy spirit, you know, like I would rather err on the side of like, you know, let's unleash where, however the Holy spirit is moving, wherever, God is already at work and I'd rather err on that than on this side of like, you know, this 
tight box and like, what am I allowed to do? And, mm-hmm. you know, this fear and shame kind of controlling mindset versus like a freeing and releasing and like, you know, move toward where God is already at work. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like that's definitely a picture of, of two different churches I've been a part of. You know, one had um, a, a female teaching pastor and who was great. And then every time she taught on Sundays, she'd have to be introduced with a, a disclaimer from the head pastor like, hey, FYI, Jessica's a woman and she's going to teach you. Um, and always come with this, you know, this description that she is called by the Holy Spirit to teach. And I'm not going to tell the Holy Spirit that he's wrong. So she's going to teach. You know, that was one experience I had. And then another experience is, you know, um, women aren't put in, you know, spiritual leadership roles at this church because of, you know, some of the the scriptures from Paul about, you know, what counts as an elder or a deacon or a pastor. And so like, we just, we just won't, (laughs) you know, almost like, like just in case it's, it's, you know, the other side of the pendulum. And in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. all of Christianity kind of feels like how you're going to be wrong about something, you know? Um, And Mm -hmm. so it's like, I've been in churches where we're, if we're wrong, we're going to be wrong in the sense of, you know, being afraid of, holding back the Holy Spirit or or we're going to be wrong in the sense of we don't want to break any rules that might be there, regardless of what people think the Holy Spirit might be prompting them to do. You know, I, one of my good friends, uh, comes, he was, he was a missionary kid, grew up out of the country and he comes from a pretty traditional conservative church background. And so as kind of stereotypical women holding positions of teaching and leadership, wasn't wasn't a thing. And I asked him when ordination, female ordination came up here at Flatirons, what he thought about it. And he was really honest. He said, I'm I'm struggling. I this is not what I've been taught. This is not kind of my understanding of scripture. So I'm struggling. But kind of to your point, Emily, he said, at the end of the day though, there's grace. So even when it's feels fuzzy or foggy or a little bit unclear, the Holy Spirit can't be reined in and there's keeping grace on not just this issue on lots of different kind of scriptural or biblical issues that there's a lot of debate around. So I was really thankful that he, um, I felt like he was wrestling with it in his own heart and in his own head, but I felt super supported in that. Um, And he definitely was one of my biggest cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. I think one of the fear based kind of things that I've heard too and experienced is just this fear that, women will now take over or be like aggressive or that there's like something that's too much, you know? Mm -hmm. And so where I come back to as well is just like, no, it's a partnership. It's meant to be together. Like, I don't think it's like this thing where now women are trying to usurp, you know, some kind of authority and rule and control, but actually what I think works best is like my situation. Like we have a lead pastor, a male who is wonderful, but we really work well together. And I personally wouldn't want a lead pastor role, but what I do love is that he sees me as an equal and as someone that like, he really, you know, wants my input and I feel fully able to lead in the ways that I'm gifted in, which are not the ways that he's gifted in (laughs) and vice versa. And so like we need each other. And so I think what, what my deepest hope and prayer would be is actually for more partnership for more male and female. Like, I don't think we're supposed to do it 
alone either way. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are better together. We are meant to do this ministry leadership, just like life, like you're meant to be in that kind of partnership and give and take and like everyone based on their personal giftings that God has specifically given. Yeah. So speaking of women participating in church leadership and volunteer roles, and then talking more about women getting into missions, I was I was doing some research before um, we started recording just because I, I was curious to see if I could find any sort of like data or numbers about, you know, how many missionaries or missions workers or participants, how many are are women? Um, you know, there there's lots of conversations and talking about, you know, women in leadership and some in a lot of hesitancy. And I was just kind of seeing, OK, well, what what? is actually happening. And it's kind of hard to find numbers of mission workers just because I think that's like a global thing. How can you even quantify what counts as a mission workers? But there was a a Pew research study done about five years ago, all about gender and religion. And the findings of that study said that women are more likely than men to believe in God, to consider religion important, to attend religious services, to pray, to be in a Bible study, to be in a prayer group, and to spend time reading the scripture. It was like out of, in all those categories, women were like 60 to 70%, you know, would would agree with that or would say that's, that's important to them. I think the only category where men, you know, um, scored higher than women was like, do you believe in like a really strict idea of right versus wrong? And men said yes, and women said mm, it's probably more complicated than that which is interesting. And as far as missions, I found this number from an organization called Africa Inland Mission, which I do not know anything about, <laughs> but except for, you know, the numbers they put out there. And they found that in their organization, other organizations similar to them, that 80% of all of the single missionaries that they send are women. So like eight out of every 10 single missionaries is a woman compared to men. And then I, I kept wanting to find more numbers of people of stuff that I, I know close to. So I asked my friend uh, at my church here in Evansville if she could find out how many volunteers at the church are women versus men. And it's 60 percent active team members um, at the church are women. And that includes, you know, leading students and children and worship and group leaders and prayer team leaders. And then I looked at Uncharted and all of the trip participants that we've had. Um, and out of 435 people who've gone on overseas trips with Uncharted, 60% also were women. And so like in in pretty much every category in terms of, you know, involvement in religion and Christianity specifically, it's, it's a majority of women. So yeah, like all this kind of goes to show that despite all of the you know questions and conversations and hesitancy that a lot of people seem to have when it comes to empowering women or encouraging them. Now I'm trying not to use the word aloud. <laughs> we talked about it, but when it comes to empowering and encouraging women to step into leadership roles or go overseas, you know, we kind of just aren't waiting for permission to do that. There, there are people doing it all the time anyway, despite what you know arguments about it would be and i i find that really cool and interesting and a little bit frustrating <laughs> to know that 
Okay. Yeah. Well. I think one of the biggest factors for me actually in really just championing women in pastoral leadership in the U S is because of women in leadership overseas. So like at least in my denomination and in a lot of my experiences, it's been completely fine and free and, um, you know, allowable Mm -hmm. for women, American women to be in leadership positions internationally, you know, whether they're serving in Africa or Asia or Latin America. Um, it's just, it seemed less, less questioned, um, that female missionaries would hold roles of, um, you know, team leaders or even church planters internationally. And so what I think it does for me, like if we're saying it's okay, it's okay for women to lead internationally. It's okay for them to lead those people over there, Mm -hmm. but not when they return home or when they're on home assignment, or it's not okay for women to hold the same kind of role as they do internationally back here in the States, I think that becomes pretty colonialistic and like Mm -hmm. journalistic, like, Oh, it's okay if they serve in that capacity for those people over there because they're not Americans. Like, I just think that is very, very tricky language and, um, and could really just seem pretty archaic in, in like a colonialistic sense. Like, Mm -hmm. but cause I, I know of several women who have held just, you know, incredibly, free roles, um, a woman who served in Russia, um, very much in church leadership in Russia. And then coming back to the U S after their term was done, um, just not able to hold really the same role at all. And just the confusion around that and the hurt that like, Oh wait, so if, if it's okay for not Americans, why is it not okay here? And that, Mm -hmm. that feels real, you know, ugly to me. So for you guys who like obviously at some point, you know, you both decided to like not just be supporters of missions, but, you know, active participants. So was there um, something that prompted you guys to either an experience or just learning something? What what was it that made you guys decide, OK, I'm I'm going to be involved in this for me? um, Flatirons has maintained a partnership with an organization working in Central Asia. And that history background in my world um, kind of all came together to just ask the question, what the heck are we doing in this country and wanting to go see? And so I think it was my own curiosity coupled with the prompting of the Holy Spirit to pull me into that and, and um, explore it. And then Jesus has just lit it on fire from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, was kind of like my number one encouragement for people that are curious about missions is just do it, just do it. It's a short, you know, what two week commitment, maybe if you're at least for us, if you're going on a short term team with our church mm-hmm. and God will, will take it where it needs to go. So I think I just ha- I had a curiosity. There definitely was probably a wonderless thing in there. I was pretty young. Yeah. And had a heart for like the Muslim kind of Muslim nations, what was happening in the Islamic world. So again, no burning bush, but Mm -hmm. I'm really thankful that I took a little step in and it just keeps going deeper and deeper. Yeah. For me there, I grew up in a really mission minded church. And so as a young girl, I remember seeing missionaries on stage on the regular and just like, 
loving and admiring them and just fascinated by their stories and pictures. And actually our, um, our missions director all through my growing up years. And then I ended up working with her, um, was a woman and she had been a missionary for a number of years with her family and just a powerhouse and also just really well respected by the men on our staff, um, on our pastoral team, just given so much, yeah, empowerment. And, but also she was just really, um, humble and gentle and yet, you know, had the authority. And so I think I saw that picture. Like, I think it really doesn't matter who we see, you know, on stage and in those roles, like, Oh, women in missions is the most normal thing ever because of Sandy Lay, you know, Mm -hmm. and just that I got to see her all my growing up years. And then when I started working at the church, she was my mentor boss traveled with her a number of times and saw her on the mission field. Um, Just really that incredible example, um, which I think makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because like my memories of mission missionaries and people talking about missions in church growing up is like every once in a while someone would come visit. But mostly it was almost like a warning of like, OK, well, you never know. God might call you to China. <laughs> it was almost like a scary thing you didn't want to happen. It's like if, if you're not careful, like you're going to end up being a missionary somewhere. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're trying to teach me with this, but now I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah. Be careful what you pray for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, God's going to call you. Oh, geez. One thing that I think that I really have a heart to kind of break the mold on is that what you're saying, Emily, that there's this obscure like family or couple that comes in once a year, once every two years from Uzbekistan. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you're an eight year old kid sitting in church, you have no clue where that is. And then yeah, they're talking about this far off land and this thing they're doing that they need money to do. And so I think it really limits people to think my niche in missions is is so small. Like I'm not called to go to Uzbekistan or wherever. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have a role in missions, which is not true. Every person who calls Jesus their savior has a role in missions. Like this is our job as Christians. And I'm, I really have a heart to break that. We all have a place in missions here, there, everywhere. We have a prayer role. We have a financial role. We have a, a support role and a sending role. So I, I resonate with you talking about the missionaries that, you know, would come up and stand on stage every once in a while and give a little bit of an update. And, you know, maybe there was some reception afterwards where some different kind of food was served, um, which is fine. But I think we do have work to do in the understanding that we all have a role in missions and in the great commission and in the global church. So no, so when it comes to, you know, the, the more practical elements of, of fulfilling the great commission and international missions, like there's, there's trips, there's traveling, there's learning languages and going overseas. And when it comes to doing that as a woman, I think there are lots of additional difficulties or concerns that come up. And I, I would be interested to know, you know, how often, um, you know, Ben or Noah would get this going on a trip somewhere is anytime I'm going on a trip or there's a trip planned, the concerns almost always like, well, are you going to be okay? Are you going to, are you going to be safe? Have, have you guys had that? And I think that Noah's over here talking about like his mom probably says that every time he goes, but, (laughs) but do you think you guys get, um, more, I don't know it's more concern, but it's almost as, you know, is is personal safety more of a used as an argument against it 
against going overseas or traveling for women as opposed to men? Especially, Amanda, you've gone a lot, I know, um, to Central Asia, which is, you know, not necessarily the safest place to be anyway, but specifically as a woman. Um, was that like a concern whenever you talk about going on your first trip or or since then? Is that something that gets brought up a lot for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the more years I've been involved in that part of the world, like I'm trying to think back to my early days. Cause I think now if people even make a comment, I just blow it off. I don't even pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I think back, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it, a lot of the questions have been like, are, you know, are you safe? Will you have to wear a burqa? You know, I think in the early days we were teaching women like not to make prolonged eye contact with a man and all that kind of stuff that is respectful and important to be aware of, but also is just really weird and very unrelational. So I'm trying to balance like today, I think how comfortable I've become in that setting and yeah, the relationships that I've developed that have allowed me to just be more me when I'm there. Mm -hmm different than my early days where I was, I'd never been in a setting where women, we don't have that here in the U S where women really have such a distinct, different role and place in society. I mean, we have it some, but we don't have it to the degree that other parts of the world do. And I remember, especially my rightfully so my parents being super concerned about safety and being very grateful that my husband was going on the first trip that we took. So he was there to kind of, yeah, provide that layer of protection and intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we took the very first all women's team that the partner hosted. um, We took from Flatirons. And so there was a lot of question with that. Like, how will this be received? How will we be able to, will we be able to move around and do things and have conversations without a man traveling with us? And the answer is yes, we did it all and more. God has been so good for the, the opportunities that have come up, um, with local women because of these all women's teams. Good. Yeah. I've been a part of some all women's teams. We went to women's prison in, uh, Kurdis- or no, in, um, Kur- Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was amazing to be in a women's prison and just have the access there. But yeah, I agree. I think, again, with the limitations, there's certain limitations as women um, that are just cultural too. And we have to acknowledge and know that that's the reality. And, um, and I, that's where I come back to like doing this in partnership, like that, you know, I have a lot of friends who've been single long-term workers and um, who really need to be on a team with other couples and, you know, have that partnership with the males on their team and, you know, just for uh, the cultural sensitivities that are required, but then there's also inroads that they're able to have um, differently. And this is more anecdotal, and I don't know if there's much research on it, but I'm very intrigued by the fact that, you know, so many single women, I think, are lauded as like heroes on the mission field. Like, wow, they're going to like really hard places as, you know, long-term workers, um, single. And there's, there's like a hero kind of um, respect and honor in that sense. And yet I don't see that as much in the U S about women in leadership here, like that there mm-hmm. isn't the same sort of sense of hero, uh, you know, respect and honor. Um, and I, yeah, I just wonder about that disparity and, and even is it that some 
single women don't find, not that they're looking for hero and honor, but like, is it that they don't find a role as much in the U S and there is like a draw to like, okay, God's gifted me in leadership and in service and in, you know, these cross-cultural ways. And like, I want to be able to use that to my full ability. And, and so there, there's more of a place that they find internationally maybe than they do in church ministry here. Just a question. I don't know like what research would say about that or. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And I, I think it, I think it is kind of telling that, you know, if, if the church doesn't necessarily provide spaces for, for women and specifically single women to, to mature into and to places for them to serve according to their giftings and not necessarily serve in, you know, the nursery, then like they're, they're going to find a place (laughs) where, where they can do that. God's going to tell them where to go. And it's, uh, it's cool that that can be found overseas and in different cultures. And I think it's really, it it is something I find, you know, admirable and brave and cool that, that women, specifically single women, can go overseas and start new things and do it in harder circumstances maybe than they would at home. Um, I think that's cool. And I think it's really sad at the same time that it's like, oh, well, I, I have to leave home in order to feel like I can belong somewhere. And also, I think it's a little interesting um, to get, you know, all of these these concerns and worries about, you know, women's safety and making sure women are protected overseas because, you know, the, the American church does not also have a great track record in terms of tr- treating women with respect and with dignity. Um, we just talked about this a little bit uh, on a recent episode about, you know, processing religious and spiritual abuse and how, you know, a lot of church leaders and evangelical leaders are are not really all that different <laughs> from from these sort of overbearing patriarchal cultures or different than what we assume these overbearing patriarchal cultures are. And I think there's a lot of, you know, colonialism and also just xenophobia and and fear based on on race even of assuming, you know, women are safe in a community where they all look like me and they are not safe in a community where they don't look like me. Gosh, I'm having to like process a little bit of what you're sharing. (laughs) Good. We can take some time to process. I do want to say, I love what, I, I love what Sarah's saying about the partnership between men and women when it comes to, to ministry generally, and then in missions, because I don't want any of this to come off as man bashing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point to make, you know, our church flat irons is we have a heart for men unashamedly Our our we run after the hearts of men because we really believe that recapturing the hearts of men for Jesus changes everything. It changes families. It changes marriages. It changes the lives of women. It changes kid, you know, the lives of kids and communities. And I, I do believe that men have a really important role to lead and to challenge and, and to be the spiritual leaders of their homes and their communities, both here in the States and around the world. But I love, scripture's really clear about the body and our partnership, our, our collaboration together with how we've been gifted. So thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate um, what you're saying about that. I, I 
do you think it's distorted and has been distorted and we have room to grow? But I also agree with you that I don't think women are necessarily looking to take over the well, maybe some women looking to take over the world. Like the, the healthiest way this is going to be done is for us to work in partnership with one another. Actually, I have a friend here in New York who is doing her dissertation study on women in the lead role at churches. She's Anglican. So she's actually a priest, I believe, um, is her title. But even in, in like the head chair, a lot of women choose to still share is what she's finding, share leadership with either another woman or um, with a team where there is a bit more of like an even an even breakdown of, I guess, power and authority instead of like one central or like a hierarchical kind of structure. So I believe that her study is showing that like women just prefer to lead with someone else in general. And again, I just, I, like you said, Amanda, I think that is a picture of the body of Christ. Like maybe we are meant to be more, you know, equal in terms of like, even how, how power is shared, because I think it's like how gifting and how strength you know, how, how we can be strengthened by sharing, you know, among all the gifts and that it's not just one, I think it's, it's terrible model, whether it's men or women for one person to carry the sole weight of lead pastor. And okay, I have to be shepherd, preacher, teacher, apostle, prophet, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's way too big of a burden. So I do think that it is about like, how can we get more voices and and not be so fearful that like, okay, well, one person needs to be the, you know, the determining factor for all things or like the one that decides everything. Like I think in healthy marriages, it doesn't just come down to like one person, whichever, you know, man or woman, like one person making all the decisions. Like, I think that there is beauty and like, you know, just the way that the body is structured that we would share a lot more than maybe we do. And I, was trying to find it. I think it's by Tara Beth Leach. It's not this book. I'm holding up a book called Radiant Church, which is a new one by Tara Beth Leach. And I think it was her first book that was about sharing uh, leadership, men and women. And I'll find that and we'll put it in the show notes, right? Yeah, we'll we'll get a link to that. So people, (laughs) yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with both of you. Um, I, I think we, I think it's a very American thing to to assume leadership and authority looks a specific way, which tends to be very masculine, traditionally masculine. And so even when women are empowered to lead, you know, it's almost an expectation that they lead in this specific way anyway, that is is learned from all these very, you know, masculine authoritative leaders that have been the example. And at some point, we don't really even know what we're missing because we are just assuming we understand completely what what a pastor should act like and look like because you know we've been told this is this is what someone who's in charge acts like and this is what they do and we don't leave any room for any different kind of you know i hesitate to use the word power because that's a little you know gross when we talk about spiritual leadership but you know we maybe authority is better. We don't, we don't recognize that it can come in a lot of different ways, you know, that, that we are a body and that every part has different functions and it all works together. You know, God is diverse in himself and has many different expressions of how he teaches and loves and leads. And if we, you know, if we limit what we think leading should look like or teaching should look like, you know, we limit 
God in a sense. You know, we say like, well, he can't, you know, that can't be from God because that's not what I think he's like. When in reality, it's very much more than we expect and, you know, more than we allow to experience. Well, yeah, and we've done ourselves such a disservice to buy into the lie that it is a box and that it needs to look a certain way. And we either, our two options are either to keep quiet, you know, be kind of the meek, humble, quiet, or steamroll and take over. And, or, or sorry, I don't know if you'll edit this out, but be a bitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, if what we've been, I think, told and have bought into, like those are our two options. Yeah, which is such a falsehood from what, Jesus taught and represented in his relationships with women and how he brought women into his ministry. And sorry, somebody just came to the door. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I think I'm, let me mute. Cause- <laughs> so I kind of want to get back to, you know, experiences that, you know, the, the three of us have had is specifically when it comes to, you know, misconceptions of, of different cultures and of what ex- you know, mission experience is like for women, especially when it comes to places that are that are deemed, you know, scary or that or unsafe, even like we talked about a little bit, you know, and it's a little bit unfair because, you know, women already live in these places anyway. So it's again, it kind of comes back to this, you know, fear, xenophobia based mindset of you know, those places are, are bad for women. Well, there, there are women there anyway, and they're living their lives. And if it's, if it's scary for, for us, then it is scary for them and they don't deserve to, to be there without any help. But in talking about your guys' experiences going to, to places like this, were there, or maybe more generally, what kind of misconceptions do people have about, you know, the lives of, people and maybe women specifically in these cultures? Something that uh, hit me like a ton of bricks was I'm speaking like more specifically with the Central Asia experience, how revered women are really truly are, Um, you know, me and, and there's pockets where this is abused. Women absolutely are tortured and oppressed, but there are, I I would argue greater segments where women are revered and celebrated and praised and honored. And the, um, there is something so beautiful about a woman's reputation and her livelihood and her future being protected out of love and out of a, a good place to see her succeed and, and continue to be honored by the other men in her life. That blew my mind. I really, it is a balance and there are places that it's broken and misrepresented um, and obviously devastating, but there are also a lot of places. Um, I think I'm, you know, thinking of the Islamic world in general, where re- women really are extremely valued. Mm-hmm. Sarah, have you had experience in, in uh, places like that? Definitely. Yeah. I think it is a misnomer that Muslim women are just, you know, so oppressed everywhere. Um, there are elements just like, you know, we are here or just, just like any, you know, kind of power disparity in many different ways. But 
Um, I remember it's, it's kind of just like a little cartoon meme. And this always just comes back to me, um, that it's an American woman and she's wearing a bikini and sunglasses and then a Muslim woman. And she's like fully veiled, you know, just, um, with the eye slits open and the thought bubble from the American woman with the sunglasses and bikini is, Oh my goodness. Like, how oppressive everything covered, but her eyes. And then the Muslim woman saying how oppressive (laughs) nothing covered, but her eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like the different way that we view what oppression looks like, um, or just what like male female relationship or, um, you know, that kind of dynamic in a, you know, either power sense or just in a relational sense. So we have to be, yeah, just culturally careful to assume things just because, you know, and this is just classic contextualization, like just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong or bad mm-hmm. or that there is something really um, oppressive necessarily. There still could be, but just with our, our proper cultural lenses, just really asking the questions and not making assumptions that, could just be a lot more um, cultural than necessarily theological or social. Yeah. Relational. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a little bit about how, you know, women around the world are, are actively participating in disciple making, you know, whether or not an American pastor would, would say they, they should or can. Um, And I was just curious to hear from you guys from people you've met or worked with around the world, um, like who have you maybe been inspired by as as women working in missions? I know with Uncharted, we partner with 19 church planners in Myanmar and it's very, you know, unstable and difficult at the moment because of the military coup. All of these, all of the church planners, you know, 18 out of 19 are men. Most of them are married and most of them do ministry, you know, with their with their spouses um, as as a partnership. But it's very much considered they're the church planner, and sometimes they do things with their wives. But we do have one church planner who is a woman, who's a, a single woman, who's just you know doing the same thing as everybody else, um, knocking on doors and meeting people. And I think, you know, her her boldness and her just willingness to to do what she knows God has called her to do is is really cool to see in a in a place that feels unexpected and maybe it shouldn't feel unexpected and you know maybe that's my my own bias coming in to um to even be surprised maybe that is, that that is something that she feels like she can do but that that's something I'm really glad we're able to encourage and hopefully you know see more of as we work with more church planners in the region and then in the other communities too, I think would be amazing to see. Yeah. The the ladies that come to mind for me are women who are connected to some of our existing partners. We partner with an organization called Life in Abundance um, and they work in Africa and the Caribbean in several different countries. And their executive director and founder, Florence um, Wendy is her name. She talk about giving your life to what Jesus has laid on your heart and the calling that he has for you. She's just is incredible. Um, and I, we, I think we as a church and I personally have learned so much from just the Testament that her life is and the hardship that she has faced. Yeah. I think we, we have these powerhouse women that are involved in all of our partnerships. 
and the tone that they set for a life lived in calling with Christ um, is just inspirational to me. I also, just while you were kind of setting that up, Emily, I think about, and I don't know anybody specifically, but I think about parents who, who take their families on the field. So they're missionaries full time and who lose a child, like a family that has experienced a death on the field um, in the course of their long-term service. There's always something about those stories that, that strike me. I've, I've my, this like kind of, I don't know, selfish piece of me steps. And it's like, wow, God, they've given their life, their family, their livelihood, their American dream over to you for service on the field and their child dies. Like you really couldn't have protected that. Um, mm-hmm. So those stories always inspire me what this like Jesus with skin on thing really means. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know that I can think of a better example in my life of staying committed to the long haul of service in Christ than to have such a horrifically tragic event happen in your missions work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, I already mentioned her, Sandy Lay, who was our missions director all my growing up years at my home church in California. And she had served as a nurse. Um, her husband was a pilot. She was a nurse in Indonesia. They just had a tremendous ministry together. And then when she came back, it was, she was the one asked and chosen to lead the missions program at our church and really took it from kind of nothing to today. I think the church still sends about a half a million dollars to missions. Um, it's a, a large church in California, but she's the one that really just shaped that. And so I think watching how she led on the field and then back um, in the U S and really just, you know, was a tremendous mobilizer and sender and trainer and, um, and just that it didn't threaten her husband and that the church really, you know, didn't see it as necessarily like, Oh, we should pick him, you know, the missionary and his wife kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Like I know that that was broken a while ago, um, but that they were, yeah, really based on their each, each of their giftings, like, she was in that role and, um, and then took me and many, many other women on short-term trips. And I really owe my kind of call and just picture of like what it looks like to be in missions and ministry to her. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it gets infinitely more (laughs) difficult and complicated when, um, families are involved overseas too, just because, um, I know I have a friend who's living overseas doing missions is married and has children and there's always a struggle of you know what what is my role here I like I I consider myself a missionary but a lot of the times I am homeschooling my kids or I'm I'm taking care of something and it kind of feel it can feel like well if this is what I was going to do I might as well have stayed home but um there there is a lot of of sacrifice and partnership and give and take when it comes to you know, serving overseas and adding family and adding spouses. You know, we talked a little bit about the difficulties single women have in mission field, but that doesn't mean that married women and mothers have have less difficulties. They're really just different difficulties. So as we wrap up our conversation, which has been super fun, and I'm glad we got to hang out virtually um, mm-hmm. for a little bit, um, I was going to ask if you guys had any encouragement or other, you know, resources. We talked a little bit about a book uh, you recommended, Sarah. But um, if you had encouragement for women who are interested in getting involved 
in international missions? I mean, I said it earlier. It's, I don't, it maybe sounds simple. I believe that if you, if you are kind of wrestling with this question or even just this curiosity about jumping into missions in some way, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. God will be faithful. This is the calling of his people and he's not going to waste that. I would also say, hold on for the ride because it could definitely spark something you never dreamed of. That's been my journey. So I don't know. I, that kind of sounds like a little cheerleader rah-rah, but just do it. Just jump in and see what happens. That's good. Yeah. And yes, and amen to that. And I'm also equally surprised at where, you know, I never intended to do any of the things that I've done. I think they kind of just fell into place as I just continued to listen to God. So that would be my encouragement is if you're not quite sure what your gifting is, like, A, know that there is a gifting. There's a unique and specific gift that you have, um, not just as a woman or in this certain set of categories, but like the sky's the limit, like ask the Holy spirit to reveal what he has specifically equipped and gifted you in and pursue that with all your heart and ask like, what is it that I am wired to do uniquely and not let your femaleness be any kind of determining factor in that? Like really listen to God first, you know, what is it that he is telling you to do? And, and then, you know, from that place of this is my calling and this is what the Holy spirit, the mantle that he has put on me, the authority, you know, like there's ways that we can carry that out, you know, in negative ways. And then there's ways that we can carry it out in fully, you know, free and, and yeah, Holy spirit anointed ways. So to let that be the, the lead and let that take the lead. What is your, your gifting and pursue that and see where it takes you. Cause you might not have any idea that that role even exists or, you know, but you'll keep finding yourself in a place where God is yeah, already at work and he has given you the gifts to be there. Awesome. That's great. Well, unless there's anything else you guys feel like you want to say really quickly or maybe we skimmed over and would like to restate, I feel like Baz, that was a great that was a great way to go out. So I'm good if you guys are good. I don't have anything else on my post-it notes. (laughs) One thing I will say just to add to kind of what Sarah just shared was uh, one thing I think that has been so encouraging to my leadership as a woman is to dig into scripture around women in scripture and how women in scripture led and the roles that women have played, even all, you know, back to Old Testament. That I think understanding what God really says about women in leadership and women in positions of power and authority is super helpful. Having that discernment to say like, "Eh, I don't think that that's the truth. I think that's your opinion or church Mm -hmm. tradition or whatever. I continue to be encouraged by, yeah, learning about biblical women. And and I think it's an easy way to start um, digging into your role as a woman in ministry. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, Every time I like hear teaching and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to reconcile this with stories of women I've read in the Bible and this doesn't work. So one of these is true. One of these is not. And it's more helpful than maybe people would expect. Like just, just go back to scripture and see what God actually says, because it's probably a little different than you might remember. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Okay. Well, we are we are one minute past the scheduled time, so I I apologize, um, but it was really fun, and I'm glad we I'm glad we were able to do this. I'm glad Ben's out of town, so I scheduled this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This was super fun. I'd love to continue to talk about some of this stuff. We should write a book or something. Yeah, Ooh. for sure. Mm-hmm. Next time, next project. Yeah, next time, uh, Charlie gets a grant to publish a book. This is this is what it'll be. So we'll do that. Yeah. I think we could probably definitely do a round two of of this topic again at some point. So that'd be awesome. All right, thank you guys so much. Thank you, guys. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.